You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. I'm so glad that you are here today. My name's Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at Mill Creek. Thankful to the Lord for bringing such beautiful weather. We prayed that this would be a sweet day. Thankful that we've had to put out more chairs than we expected. By the way, we also had handouts. If uh, kids, you want to get a handout, be able to uh, take some notes. Uh, Parents, adults, if you didn't get one, we can make a few more copies for you. Especially thankful to all the gentlemen setting up those uh, inflatables over there. They're so kind to cut the generator so we could hear one another here for a moment. Shout out, too, to Gleason Glenn West, representing especially the kiddos. What up, Ava, Owie, Everly? I see you. Hey, let's jump in. Aren't teachers great? Are you a teacher in here? Actually, raise your hand if you are a teacher right now. Raise your hand if you are a teacher. Like, that's what I do. We are grateful for you. Raise your hand if you've ever been a teacher. That, that would be my hand as well. I used to be a teacher. Okay, yay for us too. All right, but, but we're so grateful for teachers. It was just pre-COVID when, if you would have said, do you like teachers? I would have thought, sure, teachers are fine. And then COVID hit, and, and all the ladies that were teaching my kids immediately became queens to my wife and I as we tried to do this homeschool mom and dad thing, trying to figure out, oh my word, whatever they pay you teachers, double it. You're worth it. You're fantastic. It's so hard to do what you guys do on a daily basis. And while I have a special place in my heart for all teachers, a uh, a specific uh, type of teacher in my world has come to the top as far as What's so crucial for a teacher? See, lots of teachers want to make sure you get information and they're happy to lecture it to you. But what I find is the best type of teacher is the teacher who not only tells you something, but then checks in to see that you're really getting it. What I mean is, I'm, I'm sure those teachers out there who spend hours and hours on their lecture have, have worked really hard. I trust they've worked really hard. But, but, but it's not enough, in my view, to just lecture and, and give information. What I really appreciated about the best teachers, in my view, are those who come back around and check in with their kids to make sure they get it. See, the best teachers I knew not only drop knowledge through their lectures, but they work hard to make sure their students understand the knowledge from their lecture. It's like A parent who teaches their kids to brush their teeth. Parents, if you've ever tried to teach a young kid to brush your teeth, you shouldn't be spending an hour on that lecture. You ought to give a few instructions, and then you say, now show me how you do it. And if your kid puts their toothbrush in their ear, and you haven't got it down right, you're going to have to need to revisit the instruction section. When you teach somebody something, you want them to get it. And in our text today, Paul, like a master teacher, is going to come back around to a very crucial doctrine that he has been working through in the book of Romans to make sure his listeners get it. He he wants at this point for the people listening to his letter not to just nonchalantly tune out, but he wants to press into them to say, but do you really get this? And here's what he really wants them to get. 
It's justification by faith. Would you repeat that with me? One, two, three, justification by faith. Let's try that one more time. One, two, three, justification by faith. Look, bro, it's like picnic morning. You even given us pancakes yet? And you're already talking about this big $5 theology word. What in the world? Justification by faith. That's the word in Romans that's so crucial that I want you to get. And the meaning is really simple, even if the term feels a little foreign. It means how you're made right with God. That's what justification by faith is. It's how you're made right with God. And what, what Paul wants to do is he wants to say, hey, time out as I've been arguing through the book of Romans so far. I want to make sure you Romans understand how you're made right with God. Because if all you're doing is listening to this lecture and you've sort of tuned out, Paul's saying, I got to push pause because this is too important. And that's what Paul's going to do in our text. He's going to test for understanding in two ways. First, he's going to say, do you understand justification by faith? And then he's going to give us two examples. So do you understand it? And then two examples. That's what happens in our text if you're looking at it. And since our text has two big ideas, the sermon will have two big ideas. Though, kids, I should warn you, the first one's a lot longer than the second. So if you're still alive when I'm done with the first one, you're almost home and you're making it. First idea, do you understand justification by faith? If you're taking notes, this is verses 27 to 31. And here's what Paul's doing. Actually, I should push pause real quick just to say, if you're wondering, bro, it's picnic Sunday. Why are you in Romans 327? Why did you pick that text? Uh, the way we do preaching here at Mill Creek is we just pick a book of the Bible and then we just march right through it. And it turned out that this beautiful day was the Romans 327 passage. And you showed up on this day. If you would have shown up last week, you would have heard what I think is the greatest paragraph of all time. Uh, you can argue with me if you like, but I think it's the goat. This week is the follow-up to the goat, which is crucial. And next week, if you come back, it'll just be the next passage. That's how we do preaching here, which is why we're now here at this part of the text. Now, just in case you haven't been here, here's what Paul's been arguing then from the beginning of Romans. At the very beginning, gee, can I stand on this? Ooh, I can. This is nice. Hello. Hey, y'all. How you doing over here? This is nice. Here's, here's how it works for Paul in Romans. Paul begins this letter. He's writing a letter to a church he's never been to. So he starts off by saying, hey, I love y'all, and I haven't seen y'all for a while. I've never visited you in person, but I want you to know I'm an apostle of God, and I love you. That's the way he starts the letter. And then in 118, he comes around to say, hey, just so you know, everybody who's a godless pagan, oh, hi, y'all, how you doing over here? You doing okay? Yeah, good, good to see you. In 118, he says, hey, just so you know, if you're a godless pagan, you are under the righteous wrath of God, which if you're here and you're not a Christian, you might be going, is that really what he says? Yeah. And you might be thinking, well, why does anybody keep listening? Because that's some trash. I don't want to have to listen to that message from Paul. Here's why. The people that were part of the church of Rome, they believed in the Old Testament and they wanted to know what Paul was going to say the Old Testament teaches. And this is what Paul does then from 118 to the end of chapter one. He just says, look, anybody who's a godless pagan stands under the righteous wrath of God, which led some in the church of Rome to kind of cross their arms and go, yeah, I mean, those people are suckers and they deserve every bit of God's righteous judgment because they thought that they were good and the, and, and the people outside the church were bad. But then what Paul does is Paul says, actually, not only are everybody out there bad, but so is everybody at the church. Everybody in the church of Rome, you're trash too. You are under the righteous 
judgment of God. That's what I mean by trash. I mean, we're all made in the image of God, and that's great, but if you miss the memo, we, like the Romans, are sinners. Say, I'm a sinner. Say it again, I'm a sinner. So if you ever wonder, I sometimes ask my kids, honey, what do you deserve? And, 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 and one of my kids says, uh, daddy, I... Uh, oh, I deserve hell. It's like, yeah, that's the truth of what the Bible teaches, though one of my kids hasn't got it quite yet. I said, do you deserve hell? She goes, no. No, I deserve heaven. Well, uh, Paul would disagree with you, and that's what he argues from 118 to 32, and then chapter 2 and 3, he keeps saying, you are under the righteous judgment of God, and you will not be justified by your good works. Justified, again, means made right before God. And what's so important then in Romans 3.21 if you missed last week's sermon, go check it out, is that Paul says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested, uh, revealed, apart from the law. Like, you can't follow the law good enough to be saved, but the righteousness of God is through justification by faith. Say justification by faith. And this is what's mind-blowing. It's like, whoa, I could be made right with God even if I don't follow the rules? That's what Paul's saying is true. So now he's going to push time out for a second to go, but I want to make sure you understand this and look in verse 27 because this is what he says. Well, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works, which he's already said can't save? His answer, no, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So here's how Paul, as a master teacher, is touching base. He's going, now look, if you believe in justification by faith, you're not going to brag about it because you didn't do anything to be saved. See, there are some people who feel proud and self-righteous because they followed all the rules, but their following of the rules is not going to make them right before God. And therefore, Anybody who's bragging like, look what I've done. I believe in justification by faith. You don't get it because you didn't do anything. This whole thing is a gift to you. And, and when you receive a gift from somebody, a very valuable gift, you don't, you don't beat your chest like you're King Kong thinking how awesome you are. It was a gift. That's what Paul's arguing. You have been given a gift and therefore you can't boast. It makes no sense. These Christians, so-called Christians in the Roman church, walking around bragging would have been something like a modern-day Bronco fan. I don't know if anybody here is a Bronco fan, but if you were, imagine, shout out right there, that's right, us three, man. If you're a Bronco fan walking around this city, you would be a fool to brag about it. And if, and if you walked around saying, man, the Broncos are the best team in the NFL, any Chiefs fan could say, hello, you have nothing to brag about. Do you even know what a professional quarterback is? Do you even know how to draft anybody? Do you have a coach or is it you? Like how, what, bro, if you're cheering for the Broncos and bragging about Kansas City, you must have eaten paint chips as a kid because there's just no other explanation for why you would walk around bragging. You, you don't have a winning record, etc. Just like a Broncos fan has no reason to boast, the Roman Christians had no reason to boast in their salvation because they received it by faith. They didn't earn it, so you can't take credit for it. 
which means if the Romans were boasting in being made right before God, they don't get it. And they're just like a little kid who's, Daddy says, hey, show me how to brush your teeth. And he takes a toothbrush and he starts combing his hair. All right, I don't know, what, I don't know what, what daddy's been teaching you, but that ain't how to brush your teeth. This is the way to brush your teeth. That's what Paul's checking in on. So that's what, it, that's what he's communicating there. Pause real quick. What does that have to do with us today, pastor? What does that have to do with us today? Well, it's like this. For any of us who are tempted to boast and pretend that some of you do like to boast about your favorite football teams, maybe cool that a little bit. Sorry, that, I was just kidding there. Do what you like. He's not talking about football teams. What he's talking about here is if you like to boast in your Christianity, if you walk around with a puffed up chest thinking you're King Kong because of how good you follow God's rules as if God has saved you because of something you've done, what that teaches, what that shows is you don't get justification by faith. You're not made right because of anything you did. See, for any of us in here, if you're a Christian, if you, if you profess, yeah, I follow Jesus, pastor, if that's you, anytime you functionally stick your nose up in the air and think you're better than others, or if you think we do church better than others, if, if you think we're so much more loved by God because we take so serious all the things of God and we have all these extra rules and we're really good at that, if that's what you boast in, then it shows you don't get justification by faith because being a proud Christian is an oxymoron. That's not how we live. In fact, in the Bible, an attitude of boasting in entitlement indicates at a minimum that you don't get justification by faith. And at worst, you may not be a Christian because Christians don't walk around thinking they're all that. Christians don't boast. They recognize God saved them. Well, that's where Paul begins with this idea of, do you get justification by faith? Then he moves in verse 29. If you look in your text, he says, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. What Paul's pushing into here is then those who would say, yeah, yeah, I'm justified by faith, but, but Paul, he, God only saves people like me. God only saves people who look like me and follow the rules like me. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. God doesn't only save people like you. He saves anyone. He can save anybody in the world. And, and in this way, Paul's pushing into this idea of exclusivity, that, that, there, that there is a Christian doctrine of exclusivity. If, if you've been here at Mill Creek or, or a church like ours, you've probably heard somebody say something like, yes, we believe in the exclusivity of Jesus. And what, what that means is we believe that Jesus is the only way to God. You might have heard somebody say, well, you know, there's this mountain and there's all these different ways you can climb the mountain, but they all end up at the top. So if you want to take the Jesus face, why, that's fine. You can just walk right up the Jesus face and you'll get to God. But there's a lot of people who take like the backside. That's the Hindu side. So you just walk up through Hindu, you get to God. Oh, I'm going to take the Islam side. I'm going to take, oh, I'm just going to march up this way through Muhammad to get to Allah. But at the end of the day, oh, no, all of them lead to the same place. That's a very popular message. And, and, and the Bible says that that's trash. That's mean. Man, why, why would you be so mean about all these other faiths? Well, 
sorry, let me have a different tone. The Bible says that's not true. What the Bible teaches is that there is only one way to God, and that Jesus is, Jesus is the truth, the way, life. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus. That's called the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no other name than Jesus, which means the way the mountain illustration actually works, all of us are at the bottom of the mountain and we're dead in our sins and trespasses. But there was a one man named Jesus who put on flesh. He walked down the mountain. He got to the bottom of the mountain. He was crucified, kicked teeth in the face, came back from death, and then he is walking us back up to the mountain. So if you'd like to get to the top of the mountain, you're not going to be able to climb that thing. You're dead in your sins and trespasses. But if you'd ask Jesus to carry you, he'll carry you up to God, and that's the way you get to God is through Jesus Christ. Hey, y'all talking to me. That's on top. I've been waiting for this day for a long time. I'm loving a little bit of interaction. Okay, thank you. Whoever that active man is over there, be careful. Give him a microphone. Let him sing. This is exclusivity, and Roman Christians believed in the exclusivity of God, but they actually made it a lot more tight. They said, yeah, 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 but the only people that can get up the mountain are if you follow the rules just like us, look just like us, and act just like us. And here's Paul saying, no. That's small God theology, as if God only can save some type of people. We don't believe in small God theology, Paul, Paul's saying. We believe in big God theology. We, we believe in the God of the Old Testament, the one true God, Yahweh. He's a big God. What kind of God do you serve? You, you serve a little baby Kong God. Our God, he's King Kong God. That's who he is. He saves Jews. He saves Gentiles. He saves circumcised. He saves uncircumcised, and that's because it's only through justification by faith. It's nothing you do. So he can save anybody. So if you're thinking, Romans, yeah, but he only wants to save people like me, you're wrong, and you don't get justification by faith. Okay, well, what's that have to do with us today? Well, as it turns out, nobody's made an appointment with me to say, Jeremy, I actually believe that God only saves people like me. Is that right? Nobody has that appointment with me, but I do think the principal problem occurs for any of us in here whose heart doesn't break for people who are different than us. And this is for me too. I, my tendency is to like people who like the same things I like. My tendency is to like people who are in the same age, family stage as me. My tendency is to like people that I live next to and, and do life with. And that's all fine and dandy. But God's heart is not only for people that you're friends with. God's heart is for the entire world. That's why a great step for anybody who professes faith in Jesus is to get on a mission trip and have your mind blown by what God's doing in different countries. Because there are people, friends, who live in cities where they don't have picnic Sundays like this. If you show up like this, you're going to jail. There's countries where they don't even, we don't even know if there's actually a Christian in the people group. Joshuaproject.net, if you want to go do some homework on this, that's where I get my data, tracks all the different tongues, tribes, and ethnicities in the world. And this is what I learned from them last week. There is the Sheikh people group of India. 85 million people, they speak Urdu, the research is no Christian witness. If a person in that place wakes up and wants to know about Jesus, they don't have a neighbor who knows Jesus, they don't, they don't have a church they can go to, they, who's going to go tell these people about Jesus? Does your heart break for these people who seem to have 
no Christian witness. 85 million people, or the Brahmin people of India, they speak Hindu, no known Christians. If they had a dream about Jesus tonight, who would they talk to? No, nobody that we know can explain justification by faith. The question is, do you care about people like that too? Like if you're here and you love your neighbors and you pray for them to know Jesus, amen. What about the rest of the world? If your heart frankly is cold to those who look different than you, smell different than you, eat different foods than you, dress different than you, may the Lord break your heart for cities like that, places like that. I'm going to pray that God would give you a different hobby, that you would wake up and say, man, I want to take on some new food, some new culture, some new language. I hope you don't stay comfortable because God loves all people. Kids, God loves the unpopular kid at your school, the kid at lunch who would always sit by themselves. God loves that kid as much as he loves you. Men and women in the workplace, God loves you, wherever you're at on the corporate ladder, whether you're at the top rung, the middle rung, or the bottom rung, he loves you and everybody there. It doesn't matter where you are at on the corporate ladder, the popularity ladder, the wealth ladder. God loves people on every rung, and we should too. And if that's not convincing to you, you may not get justification by faith. Verse 31 that's going to finish this first point. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, we uphold the law. What Paul's saying here is, look, we're not about flushing the Old Testament down the toilet about all of those laws. Now, some in Rome might have understood Paul to say, man, if you believe justification by faith, then you probably believe you can just do anything and that doesn't matter. So you can just live like the prodigal son. What Paul's saying is, no, you don't get it. Because if justification by faith is true, then you want to obey God. You want to follow what he has for you. See, if anybody's wrestling with this, and this is a common question I get quite frequently, what I want you to understand is if God changes your heart, then you are no longer worried about whether or not you're going to go off and live the Las Vegas lifestyle. When God changes your heart, it makes your heart hate sin. And whatever he calls sin, your heart goes, man, I hate that now. And I want to obey you, Jesus. But if in your heart right now, friend, you're thinking, I don't hate sin. I love sin. I can't wait to go commit sin. Well, then here's what Paul's doing. He's saying, time out. You may not get justification by faith. You may not know what makes you right before God. Because justification by faith does not overthrow the law. It upholds the law. What about us today? I think this final check-in in verse 31 before we get to point two helps us realize that if you are justified by faith, your faith never remains alone. Here's how John Calvin says it. Faith alone justifies, and yet faith which justifies is not alone. Just as the heat alone of the sun which warms the earth, and yet the sun is not alone because it is constantly conjoined with light. It's like this. If you're thinking to yourself, I want to be justified by faith and then live however I want, that's like saying, I really like the sun's heat, but I don't want its light. Oh, oh God, I'd like you to give me the sun, but I want the, the, the heat with no light. The light really troubles me. It saved me on sunglasses budget, and so could I just have one without the other? You're an idiot. Don't, that's not going to happen. 
any more than, than, than the opposite would happen. You know, God, I really like it cold, so could you just give me like the, the light without any of the heat? Now, that's not how it works. So it is with justification by faith and how you live. These pieces go together. You cannot separate them. If you don't live with regard for God's law, I don't think you understand justification by faith. Well, that's Paul's first check-in. He's going to give two examples. And now we're at point two, kids. So if you've tracked, congratulations. We are on the last page of notes. Two examples. If you're looking in the text, it's 4-1 to 8. The first is Abraham from the text. 4-1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Here's what you have to understand about Paul's argument here. Paul's saying, look, Father Abraham, who is like so venerated. I mean, y'all think you're like Patrick Mahomes. He's nothing compared to who Father Abraham would have been. Father Abraham was like top of the food chain. He's the main man. And Paul's explaining, Father Abraham was not justified because of his obedience. He was justified by faith. Can you say justified by faith? which is what Paul's been arguing if you've been tracking with me. He's saying, Abraham, it's not from good works that Abraham's made right. It's because of faith, which would have been jarring to the Roman church because they all thought, that ain't true. The only reason Abraham's in heaven is because he followed all the good rules. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not what Genesis 15, 6 says. Genesis 15, 6 says this. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is crucial. The text does not say Abraham obeyed God and it was credited as righteousness. No, Abraham believed God. Here's how John Stott puts it in his commentary. Abraham was held in the highest esteem by the rabbis as the epitome of righteousness, the special friend of God. Rabbis took it for granted that Abraham had been justified by works of righteousness. What Paul teaches then is these verses of Abraham's righteousness point to his life of obedience after justification. It's not how he was made righteous. Genesis 15, 6 is clear. Abraham has nothing to boast about because he's made righteous because of faith in God. Romans 4, 4 from the text. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, faith is counted as righteousness. Friend, I want you to see Paul's point. Abraham was not trying to give rent to God the landlord, and if he did good enough, then the landlord's like, fine, you can stay in my apartment. That's not how it works. Abraham wasn't a worker earning a salary. What Paul's explaining is Abraham is a beggar who was given a gift in its justification by faith, showing then to the Romans, if they could grant Abraham was justified by faith, well, then it follows. Everybody else must be too. And that's then why he quotes King David. If you look in your text, six to eight, our final two verses, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And this is from Psalm 32. Paul's quoting, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven 
and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This idea of blessing, in my paraphrase, is like this. Blessed is the man who, though he is a sinner, before God is no longer a sinner. If you're tracking that, you're going, yeah, that is a pretty good blessing. Blessed is the woman who, though before God is a sinner, is then seen as not a sinner. Yeah, give me a cup of that. Blessed is the kid who, though is before God as a sinner, is all of a sudden seen as not a sinner. Kids, if you missed the memo, a little lesson that I try to teach my kids. Do you know what you deserve, heaven or hell? You know what you deserve? Hell. Can you say that with me? One, two, three, hell. One, two, three. Can we even say that at church? We can when we're talking about it in this way. Blessed is the man, the woman, the child who, though they deserve hell, is blessed and given God's righteousness, which would make a Jew read Psalm 32. And if you don't believe me, you can read it later in your own. Psalm 32, Jews scratching their head thinking, well, how in the world did God get that blessing? I want that blessing. And what Paul's saying is the blessing is through justification by faith. And that's the theological concept you've got to lock in. If you don't get this concept, it's hard to imagine how you understand biblical Christianity. If I was sitting with you, you decided to come play bags in our little cul-de-sac later on tonight, and you said, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. I said, I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. And, and, and you said, I believe I'm a Christian. And I said, okay, but, but do you believe in justification by faith? And you said, no, I don't believe in that. And my sniffer tells me, well, you're not a Christian. True story, my wife and I were in D.C. the other day, and we're walking, and all of a sudden this person comes up to me and says, hey, sir, I'd like to talk to you about some things that are spiritual. Are you spiritual? <laughs> oh, man, you talking to the right sucker today. Now, I didn't say that. I just said, why, yes, I am. Oh, Oh, that's great. You're deeply spiritual. Do you like the Bible? Oh, do I like the Bible? Man, I like the Bible. I love, yes, I believe the Bible. I, in fact, I said, in fact, I think everything in the Bible is true. And his eyes got real big. He goes, me too. I thought, great, because I've been working on this sermon. And he goes, so do you believe in the new Passover that you have to do this to be saved? And no. I said, you mean Jesus plus you have to do something to be saved? He goes, oh, yes. I said, oh, no, that's not how it works. I said, and he said, well, let me read you a verse. I said, no, no, you go to my verse. I want, you to, I want to take you to Romans 3, 21 to 26. And long story short, he goes, we got to go. We got Where'd you? You came up to me. I want to talk to you. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Man, that's the truth. That's the gospel. Am I spiritual? Now, I'm a sinner deserving hell, but I'm about to tell you the gospel is what's going to happen. May the Lord use the few feeble words I share. I'm more confident in front of you. I was, in case you're wondering what I'm really like, I was like this. Oh, yeah, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. And then if anything good happens because the Holy Spirit was like, boom, I'll shake your world up. But I mean, I was shaking like a leaf. 
Now, don't let me get you, don't, don't give me the wrong idea. I'm a wimp when, it, when, when push comes to shove in those situations. But I want to be clear. You've got to get justification by faith. If you think anything else saves you, if you think there's anything else that you can say before God that's going to make you right, I mean, I'm glad your letter jacket has a lot of bars on it, but that's not good enough. And I'm glad your resume has some really great things, but that's not going to get it done. And whether you're really nice to little old ladies and cross the street with them or whether you give a lot of money to people, I mean, none of that's going to be enough. The only thing that can save you is justification by faith. The only way you're made right is by believing in what Jesus did. So if you're under the impression anything else saves, you don't get it. And and I cannot, I literally cannot overstate how important this is, and that's why the whole sermon's been about it. Kids, would you say justification by faith? Justification by faith. One, two, three. The whole reason I've spent this whole thing making you sit through this sweaty delivery is because I want you to understand there is nothing else that can save you in all the world. Paul spends all the time talking about justification by faith, and and it sets us apart. Calvin says, this is the main hinge on which salvation turns. If you want to get into the room of salvation, the hinge on which the door turns, justification by faith. Martin Luther, 1500, said, justification is the chief article of Christian doctrine, and when justification has fallen, everything has fallen. If Luther were here, he'd say, if a church does not preach justification by faith alone, that is not a Christian church. This is not the only thing the Bible speaks of, but it is at the heart of what the Bible speaks of. And if you are boasting in yourself, man, I'm so awesome, you may not get justification by faith. If you don't care about people who are far from Jesus, if you don't care about the lost in the world, you may not get justification by faith. If you feel you can live like any way you want, you may not get justification by faith. Abraham was saved by justification by faith. David, too, saved justification by faith. The question then for you today, and this is what the whole sermon's about. This is what it's all pointing to is this moment right here. Oh, spirit, work. Friend, kids, do you believe in justification by faith? Do you believe you're made right only because of what Jesus did on the cross? That he died and he was resurrected. That's what baptism pictures. That if you believe in this, you go under the water. Do you believe this gospel? If you don't, if you walked in today and you're like, bro, you got me with the pancakes and the jumpy houses. Well, I got better news than jumpy houses for you, man. Salvation is available to you. Someday this is all done and all of us stand before God. You can be justified by faith. Believe today. It's very simple. All you have to do is mean it in your heart. God, I'd like you to save me. Trust only in Jesus. Follow him as Lord. You can be saved. If you're here and you do believe, if you're here and you do believe, two quick thoughts. First, follow Paul's example and teach those who are dear to you what justification by faith means. By all means, take a moment and share with your family or share with a friend or share with a coworker. One of my best friends, he just found out a coworker has terminal cancer and he has just a few months to live. So he said, man, I want to email him. 
I don't know if there's a better email than to explain justification by faith. And if you're thinking to yourself, man, I don't know how I could put that in an email. That may come out of left field. Well, buck up, buckaroo. This is the only way to salvation. You need to integrate this into a conversation. Teach others about justification by faith. And then second, have a heart of gratitude. This feels like old news to you. Okay. Well, it should elicit gratitude, not boasting. In fact, as the music team makes its way up here, they're going to lead us in a couple songs. And if you're here and you believe in justification by faith, then let her rip and let the, let the Lord know from the bottom of your heart, I don't care who's watching. I don't care who's, who's listening. I don't care if you're like, bro, I got a bad voice. Text says make a joyful noise. Turns out you don't have to sing like all these cats to be able to obey that command. Sing your heart out in gratitude to God. If that's just way too weird, maybe you just want to fold your hands and pray quietly to yourself. But respond in gratitude to God. Friends, will you pray with me? Lord, thanks that you give us what we don't deserve. Thank you for not giving us what we deserve. Thank you for justifying us who are ungodly. And Lord, we bless you because you have forgiven our lawless deeds. We bless you. You have covered our sins. And we agree with King David in Psalm 32. We're blessed because you're not counting sin against us. And we bless you for justification. We, we boast in you. You're the one who saves. You're the mighty God. You're the God above all gods. And you sent Jesus to save us. We, we thank you and we look to you to save all tongues, tribes, nations. Thank you for the Brahmin people and the, and the Urdu people. We pray you send more people to share the gospel with tongues, tribes, and nations around the world. We honor you. We're pleased to obey you. You are the just and the justifier, Lord. And we want to respond by singing in Jesus' name. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.